So good morning. Welcome to day one at reInvent. I hope you bought a water bottle, some chapstick, and some really good walking shoes. My name is Jonathan Allen. I'm an enterprise strategist and evangelist at Amazon Web Services, working out of uh, Europe. I uh, find myself all around the planet. I'm going to talk for about 45 minutes and then hopefully leave 10 minutes for Q&A at the end and hopefully get you out four or five minutes early for a head start on restrooms and refreshments after that. <coughs> now, this is actually my first time at reInvent on this side of the fence, as it were. So for the reInvents I've been to previously, I was actually sitting in the audience as a customer. And actually, I was one of these logos. It's just a small snapshot of obviously the thousands of enterprise customers using AWS. And actually, I joined Capital One Bank, which is where I was the customer, back in 2007. I was there for 17 amazing years in a number of leadership roles. Capital One is a top 10 bank in the US, but also has significant operations in Canada and the UK. And in 2014, I became the UK CTO. And was intensely interested in some of the experimentation our US colleagues had been doing with AWS and the profound benefits they had. And I came back to the UK and over the next three years went on a journey with people, process, and technology and worked with AWS as our predominant partner to underpin our business strategy. The enterprise strategy team that I now work in at AWS um, is comprised entirely of ex-customers who have been on the journey. And I now basically fly around the world sharing my best practice. And I operate across the paradigms of people, process, and technology. Now, in technology, migrating is actually a solved technical challenge. We see thousands of servers being migrated with the AWS Server Migration Service. As of yesterday, over 45,000 databases had been migrated with the database migration service, including in the last several weeks, 5,000 of that number. We see VMware Cloud now available on AWS. AWS Direct Connect added five locations in just the last week, so we're now in 67 locations worldwide, over 50 cities and 23 countries. And with the new AWS Direct Connect gateway, you can now use your Direct Connect link to access VPCs in all regions except China. We see AWS snowballs have been around the planet hundreds of times. And with Amazon S3 Transfer Acceleration Service, we typically see speed improvements of 50 to 500% or greater in cross-country data transfers. Kinesis Streams became PCI and HIPAA compliant recently. And holistically surrounding this, we now have the Migration Hub, giving you a central place to discover, track, and use tooling from both AWS and our partners to help you with your migrations. It's actually the people element, though, that I spend most of my time talking to customers about. So when enterprises start experimenting with cloud, the benefits become pretty profound to them very quickly, not only with the total cost of ownership, but also with the huge increase in flexibility and productivity. So decisions are made really swiftly 
at an executive level to go, yes, we're going to go to the cloud. And this then filters down to the people that look after the current systems. And actually, this then happens. So people start to worry. You know, migration decisions in their mind think it's going to impact their careers. And then you get this fear, uncertainty, and doubt creeping in this FUD. And this can actually stall migrations. I've seen it stall migrations. And then you get this resistance is natural. You can even get the fight or flight syndrome you know, coming up in engineers and developers because it's a human nature element to be afraid of what we don't know. And if you've worked on-premise with on-premise software systems for many years, it can be a little bit like, whoa, I'm both excited and scared. So as a leader, it's like, well, where do I go? I want to go to cloud, but how am I going to get there? So instantly you think, hey, I'm, I can hire new. But as leaders, we know that hiring new takes a long time. If you go to try and hire a leadership role, it might take a year or longer to work through the process. Maybe a little bit longer for engineers and developers, but everybody's looking for engineers and developers. So it's tough. So actually, train existing is the right way forward. And the epiphany for me was the actual people I, team, I have in my team are super talented. They know the existing systems. They know how they work. But having a roadmap to set success, some steps, a path, and hopefully a way to run things are better would also be really, really cool. So clearly training is the way forward, right? Actually, training is just the tip of the iceberg. So we have this thing. I call this the frozen middle. There's training right there. So typically, we have executives who want to go. You have the engineers that actually also want to go. And then you have this middle of, well, what's that mean? How are we going to do it? How are we going to operate? Agile is coming along. We're currently waterfall. We need to change. Loads of questions. What you actually need is a holistic approach, which is going to help transform the skills to your organization. Because when you actually look under the covers of what motivates us, it's actually three things. So I can tell you, even though I was CTO, I felt more like a psychologist than a technologist on the journey sometimes. So when you look at what motivates the majority of us, it's three things. It's autonomy. You would like the ability to do things how you want to do them, in the sequence you would like to do that makes sense. You'd probably like to have things in harmony between your home and work life. That gives you a lot of satisfaction. You also want mastery. You want to be really good at what you do. You want to be known as an expert. And by the way, if you've been working on on-premise systems for 20 years, you're probably absolutely an expert in that thing. And then purpose. All of us want to know that what we're doing has an impact, that it's useful, that it's used. And you know what? When you're going to cloud or you're about to change fundamentally how you do things, you're messing with all three of these things with people. <clears throat> so I found myself thinking really deeply about this back in 2014. The engineers I had were incredibly talented, but they were predominantly skilled in legacy on-premise technology, and as a result, they offered largely siloed infrastructure skill sets. So seeking change, I then did the oft-repeated mistake of writing up a unicorn job specification 
placing it into the market. I need to be a little bit surprised when I was left with profound inbox silence on, on that job. And then I had the epiphany that the team I needed was the team I had. But there was no book, no guide beyond some training courses. But I was really blessed to work with a very supportive leadership team. And our US colleagues had developed some really interesting approaches as well that we learned from. So I spent a lot of time with coffee chats, with my teams. And I was trying to remember, as an engineer, how did I like to learn when there was an inflection point in technology? Because these inflection points in technology are not new for us. But as an engineer, how do I like to learn? Because it isn't just a training course for different people. So with the benefit of hindsight, I wanted to share with you 12 steps that worked really well to scale the holistic approach. Step one, this is happening. It is a bit like being on a roller coaster. There are super highs, there are a few lows. You don't know which way things are turning. Now, my change curve is, is historically about two seconds long, and I'd forgotten all about change curves when I was going through this journey. I was just like, look, it's just engineering. Get on with it. And then a trusted colleague of mine actually said, John, have you remembered this? Change curves? OK, you're going to go through one, and everybody who is working for you and with you is going through one at the same time. Now, I'm sure we've all seen change curves before, and I'm not going to go through it in detail. I'm just going to go through it really quickly. Stage one, denial. This isn't going to happen to me. We're not going to do it. I'm fine. And strategies to get over this, you know, create alignment. Everybody would like to know what their part of this journey is going to be. You can't spend enough time trying to appease fears in that regard. Then you get frustration. Well, it's not moving. I'm not trained. Again, over-communicate. I spend a long time in coffee one-to-ones, team meetings, being really there for the team as much as I possibly could. Then depression can sometimes set in. Well, I'm, I don't get it. I, I don't like this. I'm comfortable with what I do. Again, it's that autonomy, mastery, and purpose thing coming through. And then, then the experimentation can start. And this is where the 12 steps can really kick in. So start to develop some muscle memory. And then you get acceptance. So how do you start? What's the next step? So actually, the Technical Essentials Training Course is a great place to start. This is a one-day course that can be held on-site, virtually, or at a training center. And anyone who gets, wants to get started in AWS, I would highly recommend this course. It covers the foundations um, of 18 services now. And it's got in-depth coverage of EC2, S3, EBS, IAM, auto-scaling, ELB, RDS, Dynamo, auto-scaling, and CloudWatch. And it comes with comprehensive instruction and hands-on labs. It's a great dip your toe into the art of the possible. It gives a really broad experience of what you can do. And actually, people come off this course very interested and really excited about the possibilities. So you really want to kind of garnish, sorry, build on this excitement. And the next stage that works incredibly well at this point is to give the team a safe space, a sandbox environment to work from. This is never going to host production, because you are going to set a billing threshold on this so it can be budgeted for appropriately. 
It is a safe area for your engineers and developers and you to practice in. You can shut this down every night. Heck, you can delete it because we're going to be building infrastructure as code. But allowing your team to have a safe space. So yes, you can use the free tier, but actually, as an organization, deliberately set up a sandbox account for your engineers and developers to play in. It's never going to host production data. It's just a place to test. You can see the art of the possible. And you actually get a load of wows, and you get a load of wow, look at what we can do. You get people testing with dummy data. And this really helps generate some excitement in what we're going to do. The next step is to bring together a two-pizza team. Wait, what's a two-pizza team? Now, I'm sure some of you have heard this before. This is very much an Amazon term. And back in the journey at the start, when I wanted to understand how to best organize, and at the same time, I wanted to move away from waterfall delivery to agile delivery, I actually spent a lot of time talking to Amazon. Now, Amazon is entirely constructive of this thing called two-pizza teams. In reality, this means teams of about eight to 10, which as the name suggests, can be fed by two pizzas. And the reason eight to 10 is such a great number is that communication works. People know what each other do in that small team. Does it mean you can go to 11? Yeah, maybe. Can you go to 12? Yeah, it starts to break down. Then you get sort of segments breaking. So eight to 10 is a sweet spot. So how, but what's this mean in an enterprise? How, how, do you, how do you pull this together when you're trying to move to cloud? So really start by identifying somebody to lead this team. A product manager, an engineering manager, somebody who has you know, solid tech, solid EQ, open to new, to lead this. And then really bring in, alongside them, a lead architect. This is somebody who can help with the glue. You know, this individual is going to have to understand AWS Cloud. They're going to have to be, want to be passionate about it, how you pull it together. And then bring in infrastructure engineers. I often get asked, why infrastructure engineers? Well, infrastructure engineers are super important when you're building out VPCs, DNS, directory service, connecting Direct Connect or VPN back to the on-prem systems. They know how that's been provisioned for many years. They know the address space. Now, we talk about undifferentiated heavy lifting, and you're quite right. Infrastructure engineers don't go away, though. What they do do is they can focus on better products building with the software teams. So putting an infrastructure engineer in your team is super important. And then, of course, job zero for all of us is security. So put a security engineer into the team as well. Okay? Bring he or she on the journey with them. Because the moment, as you'll know in Agile, the moment an Agile team has to break out to go and get an answer somewhere else, it starts to slow down. That velocity is affected. So bring a security engineer. What better way to establish your security objectives your availability objectives, than having them part of the team that's going to be in there building. Operations engineers, so the availability objectives, working backwards from those, how are we going to monitor? How are we going to look after the CMDB? How are we going to make sure that metrics, threshold, alerting is all built in? Normally, people have a great sense of how we've automated in the past, what machine images could look like. How are we going to do this in the new? How are we going to establish our Amazon machine image? Are we going to rotate it? 
How are we going to build this as code? These people often have great insight in this element. And then, of course, application engineers who are great with logic and data constructs, bring them in. Now, in IT, for years, we've established virtual teams. So this isn't necessarily a new concept. But clearing the decks for this team to focus on getting together, sharing their skills, because they'll learn from each other is incredibly important. And I remember from when I was a hands-on engineer, working with your buddy was one of the best ways to learn about something new and develop skills. So put this, this Tiger Cloud team together, as it's called in the Cloud Adoption Framework, is really powerful. So you end up with teams of eight to 10 in one team. Now, when I started on this journey, I actually had a team of 22, and it really wasn't working. So I broke it down into this one team. I also brought in like a network resource from an infrastructure engineer. Worked incredibly effectively. Another top tip, don't try and change reporting structures at this point in time, okay? So keep reporting, because they can get entirely emotional. So keep them as they are, but just bring this team together, co-locate them together, and they're gonna work on the first things to get into cloud for enterprise. Now at this time in the journey, I'd actually probably best categorize these, these folks as being gifted amateurs, incredibly passionate, really excited. But what I really wanted was experts. Of course we do. We want experts to help us on our cloud journey. So this is the time to actually bring in some expertise. Now, there are thousands of fantastic partners out there. This is just a very small snapshot. So in my journey, I actually brought in CloudReach to help. So I actually brought in one engineer into the team. And then we did this. So we pair programmed. So for those of you that aren't familiar with pair programming, this is a concept from extreme programming, which really says, I'm going to have a single machine, two screens, two mice, two keyboards. I'm going to have two people working there, and they're going to develop code. In this case, we're going to be developing the cloud formation code. And now when you put the first team together, you get a lot of opinions on what good cloud looks like. But of course, the cloud is very deliberately very configurable for the thousands and millions of customers that use it who have differing needs. So there are a lot of ways of doing things. And what you really want to get to is a data-driven approach to how you want to work backwards from your security, availability, and efficiency objectives. So bringing in an expert into the team who's maybe worked with the AWS platform for seven, eight years, is certified to a professional level, has great expertise, can be amazing, because the team will just go, wow, how have you done it? Let's do pet programming for a day. Let's build some cloud formation. Are we going to use Terraform? Are we going to use Trophosphere libraries? How are we going to do it? How are we going to build it? This is like putting rocket fuel into your team. Because I guarantee there'll be loads of questions in that team about how we might do things. And you bring in an expert, again, into that two-piece of team, and suddenly they've got someone to go to to help answer their questions. And at this point, loads of like, opinions fell away, and it was real solid. Right, we're going to build cloud formation. We're going to build CICD pipelines. We're not going to use the console to make writes. It's reads only. So this expertise suddenly starts coming into the team. So highly, highly recommend that. And again, I didn't bring the partner in to necessarily build something on the side. It was I want my teams to be self-sufficient because I know that I want all of the engineers and developers to be able to build and support and run this themselves. I don't necessarily want to be dependent entirely on a partner. I want to use partners for this engagement. So step six, 
make it real. So here you want to ship something important but not critical. And important means live, into production, no science projects, no proof of concepts. We know AWS Cloud works. This is something, it could be a microservice. It could be a foundational Amazon machine image. But it really needs to be important to your business. Not critical, but important. And obviously with Agile, we really don't have deadlines. We have intent. And the team is down to solve something. But this is where you can help to give them something or an idea of something in your business which is going to be important. And get it into production. And again, Agile says don't really set deadlines, but set an intent. If you can't build something in 12 weeks, then something's not right. Okay, or something's too hard, or you've hit roadblocks elsewhere, and you need to be able to go to your single-threaded leader to help remove those impediments. But ship something important. And after you've shipped something important, you're going to do something to the team which they're not going to like. You're going to split the team. So if you've got a team of maybe eight or even 10 people, split it in two, two lots of five. Then go back around the first steps again. Remember the change curve. Bring in another partner resource into that new team. Give them access to the sandbox. Make sure they go on the technical essentials course. Splitting this team Bring in the expert is how you start to scale it out. So if you have got tens, hundreds, thousands in your enterprise, your goal here is to keep scaling this. So you're going through and splitting. What you really want when you want these teams to build is you want them to build configuration and code, which is super high quality and meets with your security objectives. And this is where the path to certification really helps. So there are seven or eight exams now in the entire portfolio of exams. But it's really the associate architect exam that I think you've got to aim for in this regard. Now, the key thing to remember here is that different engineers and different developers like to learn in different ways. The ability to pass a certification really speaks to their mastery element, though. So remember, engineers, they like classroom training. They like pair programming. They need experience of doing it. But also, some of these services online now, like a Cloud Guru and others, where you can potentially buy an enterprise license for your company so anyone with an email address can go and in their own time do training and hands-on experience in a free-tier account is incredibly powerful. So your job as leaders is to try and give four different mechanisms to the engineers and developers to self-taught. So when they're going through that change curve, when they start to experiment and acceptance kicks in, they'll start to pull on these mechanisms. If you've not got the mechanisms ready for them, where are they pulling on? You just put a roadblock in place. Our job is to remove those roadblocks and give them as much choice as possible to self-select to want to go to certification. Now, what you'll find as you start getting certified is your quality increases. The quality of the code, the speed increases, because it's a natural forcing function for people to really understand how to configure Amazon Web Services. And these courses are fantastic, and the exams just make a great forcing function. Now, here's the key. You need to reach 10% of your technology 
staff certified. Why 10%? Well, there's actually some science behind this. So scientists at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in New York in July 2011 found that when just 10% of the population holds an unshakable belief, their belief will always be adopted by the majority. So they used computation analytic methods to discover the tipping point where a minority belief becomes the majority opinion. And I personally found this true at Capital One. Because when you reach this level, you get some network effects. You get the indirect network effect that suddenly you're using a ubiquitous language and a ubiquitous technology. So if you're using S3 buckets and another team wants to use that data, well, heck, it's there. So why am I going to go and do something different or difficult? It's there. I'm going to use it. If I've developed a standard for AMIs, heck, it's used, I'll use it. If there's some cloud formation code which uses a cool service or feature which is going to save me time, well, it's on the repository. I'll go and use it. So you get this indirect network effect. And then it starts to run away. And you actually get an external network effect that right back when you were trying to hire new people, well, you start getting known as the place that's doing really cool things. And then you start getting the people applied to you. So you get both an indirect and network effect of this 10%. And when 10% have got this core unshakable belief, everyone else will start going, I need, to get, I need to do this. And then you need to have those mechanisms available so they can go and do it. Access to the classroom training, access to hands-on, access to services like a Cloud Guru, access to services with pair programming. You can start moving them into your team. And remember, on those teams, there's no hard or fast rule on the precise numbers. How you construct the 8 or 10 really depends on the problem you're trying to solve for that team. If you're doing a data-heavy product project or agile sprint, you might need more infrastructure folks who understand RDS or Dynamo. So again, that construct. And step 10, and something I forgot for the longest time until it was, until it was report, sort of pointed out to me, is it's really, really important that as leaders you recognize this mastery. <clears throat> so in CAP 1, we had a global roster of everybody who had passed the exam. Recognition at a town hall meeting. You know, incredibly important that we pull those engineers out and go, hey, we're recognizing you. Competition for who can pass the most exams to get your, your name higher. Super important. Giving people a special chair for the day they pass. You know, these things matter to people because it's that personal recognition that rewards their mastery of a topic. And the flip side for your business is suddenly you've got this accumulating mass of expertise in your team that allows you to innovate much faster for your customers. And I remember uh, being on the journey and I, I was at a town hall meeting for to this. There's a, there's a few hundred people and I said, I'd like everybody to be certified. And of course, one person on the front row said, so when are you doing the exam? And I was like, ugh. I was actually, I remember being quite stuck for words. So I took the challenge. Now, I didn't tell anybody I was taking the challenge. Of course I didn't. Um, I booked the exam. I did the training. I did the classroom. I did the online. I did the hands-on. And I actually passed. I didn't tell anyone my pass mark, but a pass is a pass. And at the end of the next town hall meeting, I was able to put my pass certificate on. Now, the moment you do that, you are signaling to everybody involved, heck, hold on, if they've got it as well, and I've got, and there's like all these people, I need, well, I need to do this, right, let me go and consume it. So you get that, that mechanism, that snowballing of learning and education. You get teams sparking off each other on different ideas and different ways to do things really effectively. 
and you start scaling. And now you're up to like maybe 12 teams that have scaled, and you can keep going. And if you're really going with Agile, you can make the call as to how many teams will fit in potentially an Agile release train. And that's when you're really running with it. Now, one of the questions I go in when I see customers, and I nearly always get this question in the first two or three, is what should my organization look like? And it's normally being asked right at the first. And I basically say, I could share what the organization looks like right now, but you wouldn't recognize it. But I can share a snapshot of some of the roles and some of the things that help unlock this. So you really are at a point in time going to have to revisit your job family portfolio. Remove constraints on ceilings. So typically and historically in enterprises, it would be like engineers and developers can go as far as a manager, then they've got to go on the manager track. Challenge yourself whether that's really appropriate in this day and age. You know, in, in AWS, there are VPs who are technologists like James Hamilton and Werner. You know, these levels of expertise when you're dealing with lots of teams and managing the independencies. So really look at your job family portfolios and say, are they appropriate right now? So some of the ones I moved to are technical program manager. This has been called Scrum Master, or, and previously, when you, if you were waterfall, it could have been the project manager. So this individual was responsible for making sure that any of the interdependent dependencies are managed properly. Of course, in this day and age, all of our enterprises have loads of different integrations with different businesses, whether it be APIs or dependencies when you're building out agile components. This individual can help manage those for you. AWS infrastructure engineers, I said when I talked about infrastructure engineers that they have a key part to play on the journey, and they still do. But what they move away from is patching and upgrading maybe storage systems or servers and start focusing on building really good cloud formation code for the software teams. One of the things I found, which was a surprise to me on the journey, was that great software engineers love playing with data and logic constructs that don't necessarily always, and there are exceptions, that like handling the IP address and some of the lower level elements. And if you need differing levels of access in your team, well, potentially you could give the infrastructure engineer more access than a developer for some segregation of duties. SQEs, even with test-driven design, when you're doing your tests before you develop for CICD, it's a really good element to have engineers that excel in that. And then, of course, software development engineers, security engineers, and engineering managers or product managers to lead the teams. So in this regard, you actually end up with DevSecOps, as it were, as we go. So organize and plan. You've really got these paradigms across knowledge, support, and structure. Super important. And one of the um, challenges on my journey, and one of the questions, and one of the elements, you don't always have all the answers, but I kind of like this quote, all of your assumed constraints are debatable when people try to put roadblocks on the journey. And with that, I want to say thank you very much, and I'm entirely open to questions.